by for Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with your host, Drew Kirby. Hey, this is Luke Holmes. I am Morgan Wallen. I'm Riley Green. I'm Travis Denning. Hey, I'm Aaron Lewis. Hey, it's Luke Bryan. I'm Tim McGraw. What's up? This is Ian Munsick. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. Welcome back to another episode of Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. As always, we bring in Wyoming Game and Fish Department because they are the backbone of keeping stuff in line when it comes to hunting, fishing, and uh, all of our other outdoor activities that we get to enjoy here in Wyoming. And Janet, hunting season has been going for a couple of weeks, and rifle seasons are really kind of just getting geared up. And how are we feeling so far? Have you heard some good stories? Well, according to us, of course, <laughs> hunting right. is always fantastic, and everybody is always being successful. But no, actually, Drew, you know, just heard a lot of, um, you know, pretty positive stories. The weather has been cooperative, and as always, just being out in the fall in Wyoming, you can't get much better than that, whether you're just um, camping, hiking, riding bikes, watching wildlife, or if you're hunting. So. Um, it's just a, a great time of year and, and things seem to be going fairly well. And we just have a few reminders today to folks about chronic wasting disease. We have kind of shifted into fall where fall showed up. We didn't have much of a summer, but now, you know, we're kind of looking at what numbers of chronic wasting disease maybe we had through the summer. Did we have anything where conditions really weren't that bad? So, uh, Justin Benfin is with us today, and Justin, we've talked to you a couple of times throughout the year to get an update on herds around the Casper region, and how's everything looking now as we're into the hunting seasons? Well, it's still kind of that mixed bag, you know, like we talked back this winter, Drew. So, you know, in the Casper area, our 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 big game, you know, got through the winter a whole lot better than we thought. But we, you know, as we talked, we made a ton of license reductions, especially with antelope and, and deer herds. Um, we're really, really lean on the number of licenses we're issuing now. And, and a lot of some of that was because herds have been struggling in some areas for a few years now. And then others, were, you know, other cuts were made just out of an abundance of caution because we didn't know how bad winter was going to be by April. And of course, you still couldn't even get around this country back in April. But, you know, our, our stuff actually fared fairly well. So in some cases, like so south and west of Casper, we've actually got pretty decent antelope numbers. As you get northwest of Casper, it's it's a little light compared to where we'd like to be. And then certainly east of here, um, that Douglas, Lusk, Newcastle country, we're pretty light on deer and antelope numbers there. And then, you know, and Janet said there's certainly some good news and some good stories. But, you know, as you get in southwest Wyoming where we had that really severe winter, you know, hunters are definitely going to see a whole lot less deer and antelope and in some of the usual places this year. So, um, but yeah, Northwest Wyoming, Bighorn Basin, you know, they, those animals fared just fine. So it really just depends on where you're at. We had a very wet year, uh, literally from day one of 2023, we've had precipitation. So the, uh, the snow lasted a long time. We had snow melt and then we had fairly a, a mild summer and chronic wasting disease has been something that People have had on top of their mind for the last couple of years. And do we think that over the next year or so that maybe we'll have some reduced numbers in that because of the, the wet year we had? Oh, I, you know, I don't know that that's really going to gonna help much. Unfortunately, the nature of that disease and the way it's spread, 
um, you just don't see short-term changes in, in disease transmission and prevalence and that sort of thing, um, just responding to a wet year. But animals are better distributed on the landscape. And when you, when you do have reduced numbers of animal, or animals, excuse me, in, in this case deer, um, you know, hopefully you're going to have reduced transmission, but it's that mixed bag, you know, because folks always want to see more deer as well. And just as a reminder, Drew, chronic wasting disease is a prion, right? So it's that's how it's transmitted. And a prion is a protein, a misshapen protein. So it's not a bacteria. It's not a virus. It's not something that, um, you know, at this time we have a cure for. And so habitat being fantastic is not something that is going to put the animals in better health and help them fight this disease. It's not something that their immune system recognizes because it is a protein. And so it just kind of slips right on through just like any other protein in our body. But it but, will eliminate or cut down the sources because of the water, right? It, it basically in a good wet year like this, you can see better distribution on the landscape of wildlife. So for example, in a drier year, you know, you might have a lot of deer that congregate on an irrigated alfalfa field or something like that. In a good wet year like this, an exceptional year, you just, you know, animals don't concentrate as much. So so it can help alleviate some of that. But really the 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 bigger story on this is is in, you know, this is actually our second pretty darn wet year in the Casper area in a row. Last year, a lot of folks forget last year was a good one too. Um, and, and is what it does is it leads to just better condition of those females, better ultimately better fawn production, better chances of fawn survival over the winter. And even despite how insidious and, and terrible chronic wasting disease can be and, and the, the devastating effects it can have on deer in some areas, um, you know, when we get really good reproduction years like this, it can it can still boost the boost population numbers despite having that lingering disease. And and that's why that game and fish, you know, does the sampling every year and and this year as we get ready to, to roll with with mule deer season i i assume there's uh, some more sampling going to take place that's right drew monitoring and surveillance is a key portion right now of what the wyoming game and fish department is doing you know we want to learn the basics about what um, the health of our herds are what the prevalence or um, you know, what it's like chronic, for chronic wasting disease in every herd. And so that is is pretty critical that we have that information. And it it is all about the health of our herds, right? We're doing this sampling so that we know what our, our cervids or deer, elk, and moose are looking like out there on the landscape. And I assume, uh, do we start this early with elk or is it just mule deer that the sampling is is I, I guess is it required this year? Is it mandatory, or do we have mandatory areas? That's a very good and very complicated question, Drew. So the first thing that I'm going to do is refer everybody to the website for the latest 2023 chronic wasting disease maps um, for the areas across the state. Because I know a lot of our listeners don't just hunt right here in Casper, and so I don't want to spout off some numbers. 
um, of what where places are mandatory right now and, and where we're focusing. Um, and then someone is is hunting somewhere else and, and wants that information. So make sure that you just check our website and you have it. Now, Justin can talk a lot about what we are doing right around our area. And um, you mentioned, you know, deer versus elk. And, and most places we talk about all deer, white-tailed deer and mule deer, mule deer, not just segregating those out if we're asking for samples of deer. But this year, we actually do not have any mandatory elk areas. That means we're not, you know, um, requiring that you submit a sample if you harvest an elk in any areas across the state. But there are several focus areas for elk across the state. And we are asking at that time, again, we're doing this for the health of the herd. So if you don't want to know your results for your meat or any of those things, you just have to tell us that. And we can put right on your sample, you know, do not notify of results, but it helps us with the science. So if it's not in a, a mandatory area, uh, and, you know, I harvest an elk this year, am I welcome to send in a sample anyway? Well, yeah, Drew, we, we will test anybody's sample from any deer, elk, or moose across the state, regardless. So they always can bring it in to a regional game and fish officer if they happen to track down their local warden or biologist or whatever. We'll, we'll pull a sample and get it tested for anybody. For free. But, it's, but as, as you alluded to in your, in your first question, you know, we have, the, and Janet talked about, we have those focus areas where we're trying to, we're just trying to get as many samples as we can. And that, that could be mule deer, white-tailed deer, or elk. And then we have those mandatory areas. And the mandatory areas, like Janet said, are only for deer. Um, and so in those areas, if you harvest a deer, you actually are required to arrange to meet us to, to get a sample pulled. So, I mean, just like you're required to stop at any check station, you're, retire, or you're required to give that sample. That's correct. And, and, and of course, we for those hunters hunting in those areas. So just as an example, we've got two areas right west of Casper. We've got two areas in the Riverton area and then a couple hunt areas up in the Bighorn Basin. Those are the six mandatory areas that we have this year. And in each of those areas, we've done local outreach to those hunters with licenses in those areas and that sort of thing, too. And so that means a letter in the mail, an Emails. email to the letter, um, to the the actual holder of the license, the, to the email that they have provided when they applied for the licenses. And, and so all of that information is out there. Folks will get reminders throughout the season just so they know that it is, you know, a, a requirement for them. Yeah, and, and another example, you know, just west of Casper, I mean, it's um, we're, we've got mandatory sampling and or surveillance and Hunt Area 89, that's a really coveted deer tag. That's out in the Rattlesnake Hills west of Casper. There's a fair amount of those buck deer that get harvested that folks will probably have mounted. And when we take those samples, it actually um, destroys the cape. So, uh, you know, we have to make arrangements with those hunters to get their animal caped first and then and then come in and pull their sample and that sort of thing. So there's a, there's a lot of coordination that goes into to this CWD surveillance for sure. And it's not just sprung on people so they don't just figure out when they get to the check station that oh you're in an area we have to be mandatory sample they're going to know about it we certainly hope that they do we we try our best to to notify them with every media outlet possible including your radio show drew so but 
Of course, if you're anything like me, half the time you don't open your emails until a little bit later when you have a cup of coffee and can sit down and, and enjoy reading through your 100 or 200 promotional emails that may be sitting in your inbox. So we do understand, you know, that sometimes it is hard. But, you know, if you're a hunter, don't hesitate to reach out if you haven't been notified or if you have questions. We we have some um, great folks here to help, you know with the Casper information as well as stuff across the state. With the chronic wasting disease, we've kind of chatted that it, it really only affects like the deer and the, the elk and the moose. And could there be mandatory sampling for other animals? Depending on the year um, and what research and studies are going on, we, we take a whole host of biological samples from, from harvested animals, from hunters. So it just really all depends. So for example, there's there's several elk hunting areas in, in the state right now where we're, and we do this every year, where we're um, surveilling for brucellosis. So hunters get mailed blood kit, blood tubes, and we ask that they collect blood from a harvested elk and then and then turn it into us. So um, that just, that, and it's not, that's not a mandatory thing, but um, depending on the year, I mean, we've done things like sampled you know, kidneys in harvested moose and looking for iliophora, which is this weird parasitic um, arterial brain worm. Um, so it just really depends on, uh, on, uh, the year and, and the part of the state we're talking about. So, um, you know, we're actually doing brucellosis testing across a lot of the state. So this year, kind of our green river area is really, you know, trying to target so that we can get some baseline information and continually um, make sure that we're doing the best for Wyoming's wildlife, as well as the livestock. Brucellosis is, is pretty crit critical in that um, situation. So we we work a lot with local landowners to make sure, you know, we're, we're trying to keep those animals all safe and clean. So it is um, interesting, Drew, you know, every year, like Ben Fit said, we do different testing and different things. And so, you know, we've talked about on the show, we've done, you know, avian influenza, West Nile virus, EHD, all sorts of things that we continually talk about. And so if folks have, you know, questions or concerns, because we know things are kind of confusing at times, don't hesitate to holler. WGFD.yo.gov. We have got a lot of seasons that are going right now. And Justin, I know I asked Janet at the beginning if she's heard some good things, but I know that you have seen some good things and and heard some good experiences around the state so far. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's just been such a remarkable year. The amount of water on the landscape, the amount of even low elevation desert country that still has some green left to it here in September. It's pretty remarkable. Um, you know, archery seasons are underway. Um, there's plenty of elk around. That's one thing we're probably not going to run out of anytime soon. Hopefully a bunch of happy hunters here in just a few days. And I would like to throw in one more story that I did hear, Drew. Uh-oh. Oh, yes, we did. We do have. Actually, it's okay. It's a good story. It's not about Justin. In our Green River region, you know, there are some some areas that are kind of open right now. And and I think, you know, there's been a lot of doom and gloom messaging, of course. I mean, we've even talked about it now, the concern about, you know, pronghorn and deer numbers in different parts of the state. And in some of those areas, just some really positive feedback from hunters that, that I heard yesterday just about, wow, you know, I've been hunting this area for 20 years and I saw the biggest mule deer buck that I've ever seen. And he was able to harvest him and was just so happy and so proud and and really appreciative of, again, the experience to be able to get out and enjoy the outdoors. And so even though we are 
telling a lot of doom and gloom stories about numbers and those sorts of things. It's not necessarily doom and gloom. Um, again, you know, we look at the science, we look at the numbers, we adjust tags. So if you received a, a license this year, get out and use it because um, you might find some surprises on the landscape. Which, like we've talked every time this has been brought up, the reason is so that we can have a, a future of hunting around Wyoming. And, and that's why all of this, the year-round research is, is being done. So we appreciate everything you guys do. And uh, good luck out there on the, the land if you're heading out. It's Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. It's Brian and Drew and Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. And boy, Brian, we are busy, busy, busy this time of year. As a matter of fact, uh, we're really close to rifle season and duck season. Yeah, we've got uh, just about everything you possibly could want opened uh, or opening soon. So archery season for a lot of guys is kind of dwindling down. Uh, and then we're going to have a bunch of our rifle seasons. You know, a lot of them have split seasons or a uh, first season and a second season. But that's coming up. We've got uh, waterfowl hitting uh, pretty soon. We've got blue grouse and sage grouse open in a lot of areas. Uh, dove season still open. And, uh, yeah, there's plenty to do. And still you can get out on the water and do some fishing. And, uh, man, it's just it's really, really busy right now. And I've seen all over social media lately that there are a lot of people – out for the first time getting their first antelope killing their first elk and you know and, and it's a whole family tradition now where dad was passed down from his dad and now he's been able to pass it down and i'm sure you see a lot of that coming through the doors here yeah you know it's kind of cool to just see you know what what people's train of thought is and why they're doing it and you know how they're doing it and for those that have been involved in hunting most of their life and now they've got kids or grandkids and they're they're bringing them in for their first rifle or uh, explaining to them how to a scope operates you know and get to listen to dad talk to their kids it's it's a great tradition and uh, you know any anymore where you can uh, put an animal on the table and uh, show your family you know how that process works is, is pretty neat experience one of the great things about wyoming is that the family tra uh, tradition where you know there are a lot of fifth generation families that are from here and they still hunt the same areas and when you're hunting an area like that where your grandfather and your dad both hunted i mean are you expected to be at a certain level at that point or I mean, because you can't really predict everything, but... No, I mean, I, I think, you know, just just kind of understanding how things work and the accessibility, you know, public versus private and how to, you know, what, what kind of equipment you're going to need, you know, for that first trip out, especially if you're going to spend an overnight trip somewhere, you know, what, what do you really need? You know, you don't maybe need all the the niceties that you might take on a, you know, glamping trip, you know, during yeah. the summer months, <laughs> but you got to make sure that uh, you're taken care of and make sure that you're prepared for all the different elements that might be out there. Cause you know, you might be hunting at eight or 9,000, 10,000 feet. And, you know, down here in the mornings, it's 50 degrees, but up there it might be 32 and it might drop lower, lower at night, or you might wake up to snow. So just, you know, having someone with you to, that can kind of explain, you know, how to prep for those situations is, is pretty helpful. And obviously knowledge that's passed down from year to year is, is great to have. But there are guys that are going to go to public areas that maybe don't have that knowledge. And what's the first thing that you think that they should really look at when they're going into those areas? Well, obviously the Game and Fish provides pretty good literature on you know, regulations about, 
you know, maps and, and that kind of stuff for how to identify your area, right? So um, I, I take it, tell a lot of people, unfortunately, you know, if you want to hunt area 19, there's not just really a great map that just shows you area 19. There's a lot of great tools out there. There's Onyx maps that you can uh, download on your phone, and that'll kind of show you boundaries. But, you know, sometimes you have to take that and marry that to like a BLM map. And I've seen some people do some really neat things in the past where, you know, they're reading the Game and Fish brochure and they're saying that, you know, the boundary is, you know, 487 from 220, you know, southbound to this. And they'll just take a highlighter and they'll basically map out that boundary so that when they do actually get in their truck and they're actually doing some uh, scouting, they can say, okay, this is where the, this is where the boundary is. This is where it starts. And it gives them a good idea so they can prep to make sure that, you know, for one, they're within their, the right area, but they really know kind of what they're looking at. Now, I know you guys here at Rocky Mountain Discount Sports, you have a lot of those tools that you were just talking about. And uh, the maps, you can get the BLM maps here. You can get uh, all kinds of GPS devices. And, mm-hmm. and those have really become popular, too, not only just for the map part of it, but, you know, for the safety aspect. Yeah, you know, uh, Garmin uh, purchased InReach a few years ago, and over the last few years, they've been incorporating the uh, iReach, the messaging, the SOS services in with the Garmin. So if you want to uh, be able to, you know, have one of your loved ones kind of watch and track you and, and find out where you're at, uh, there's different there's different services out there that can be do that. There's a lot of them now that uh, they provide text messaging through satellite communication. So you don't have to have the huge expense of a satellite phone, but you know you can text uh, basically a message back to your friend, your spouse, whoever, and tell them made it to base camp uh, or you know stopped for the day or elk down right. And those features where you can actually share your location, uh, fairly beneficial. It really helps the uh, the conscience of those people at home because you never know, especially if you're going into bear country, you know, you never know what you're going to run in, into at that point. Yeah, and the SOS features, you know, it's kind of like the old spots, but um, there's a couple, you know, Garmin offers uh, the SOS servicing now, and then another company called Zolio, and uh, both have their benefits. Uh, both are pretty compact and easy to, to use. They can be turned on and off, uh, subscription services, so... Uh, some of them you can just turn on during the, the couple months that you might be hunting. Uh, we do have some people that use them in their fleet trucks during the winter months in case one of their drivers goes off the side of the road. They have a way to either message or send an SOS. Very cool. And obviously safety is a concern, and, and you guys have all the, the safety measures that someone needs. And then we get to the part of the game bags, and once you get your harvest down on the ground, I mean, the process starts, and it could be a long process for some folks. Yeah, you know, depending on how far you're packed in, you know, I mean, obviously we're not all fortunate to just be able to pull our truck right up to the animal and haul it, right. haul it in the back of the truck. So, you know, you need to know, you know, kind of where you're going to be and how far you're going to be packed in, whether you're going to be able to quarter out an animal, whether you're going to need to, uh, you know, just debone the animal in the field. And so, uh, you know, obviously there's lots of cool YouTube videos where you can watch that, but uh, you're going to have to be prepared for it to have the right, you know, pack. You're going to have to have the right game bags. Um, And then, you know, like you said, the processing aspect after that, once you get it home, you know, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to keep it cool when it's 85 degrees outside? Um, Are you taking it to a processor or is the processor open? Are they full? You know, this, this time of year, a lot of times that first rifle season, 
you know, kind of puts a lot of those meat processors at, at capacity. And so you might have to wait two or three days before you can get them in. So being able to uh, keep that animal, you know, so it doesn't spoil on you is real critical. So you have to have a plan in place. Um, and then if you just choose to process, process it yourself, you know, the, we carry a lot of great uh, processing tools, the LEM grinders, the slicers, the stuffers, all the game uh, processing bags. Um, really, really not a real difficult process. And actually a couple guys can, you know, usually get a deer or an elk whipped up pretty quick. Yeah, and, and obviously, like you said, having that plan of what you're going to do and maybe even mapping out how you're going to get to the processor. There's so many processors, you need to advance your search and make sure that you, you got ready to go. So make sure you come on in here to Rocky Mountain Discount Sports to get your plan in motion before you head out in the field this fall. It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. It's Drew along with Brian Woodward from Rocky Mountain Discount Sports back at the store. And Brian, this week was a pretty active week fishing all over the place. Uh, we've had some friends that were down at Glendo, did okay. And then you were up at Pathfinder and did really well. Yeah, I was fortunate to have two days off this week. And uh, so I spent one day down at Glendo. Uh, the spoon bite was uh, great. I mean, in terms of numbers, the, we didn't get into a whole lot of big fish. I mean, we definitely probably would have had our limit of 15 inches, but we probably caught somewhere between 80 and 100 fish. Wow. Ranging from like five inches to, you know, 17 inches. Which those days are sometimes a lot more fun than when you're pulling out one big one. Well, I don't know. I mean, I do like catching the one big one, but it def- definitely keeps a person, you know, active and interested. And when you're catching those kind of fish and you've got the right lure on, you know, you at least feel like, you know, you've got the right lure and the right bait, right? So uh, obviously the fish are going to, or it's something that the fish will eat. So that, that makes you feel pretty good. And uh, we caught fish pretty much all over that lake that day. We're starting to head to where 40 degrees at night is really starting to be, you know, a, a natural thing that's about to happen. And uh, daytime, 60s, so it warms up a little bit during the day, gets a little colder at night. How are those fish going to start moving? Are they going to start slowing down a little bit? Well, the temperature doesn't seem to affect them quite as much as what the water patterns are doing, in my opinion. So down at Glendo, they did finally uh, put the plug in, so the water's coming back up now. So those fish, we might start seeing some fish go shallow. Um, I know Game and Fish transported some uh, shad in there in the spring, and um, I really wasn't seeing the the bait balls that I normally see this time of year down there. So that's a little bit concerning, especially with the size of the walleyes that we were catching. You know, the the biggest problem that you know throughout the winter is that those walleyes, those little little walleyes, might get eaten by the big walleyes. And so, without having the shad uh, there to uh, supplement those those fish. Um, you know, hopefully they don't cannibalize themselves too much, but we did catch a crappie. We caught perch, we caught catfish down there. Um, so it was, it was definitely a pretty active day. And then your second day of fishing, you were at Pathfinder and and really had a, an active fast day. Yeah. You know, talk to some of the guys that were fishing the walleye league this summer. You know, they said it was a really good jig and a minnow bite. And I have not put my boat on the water at all this year up at Pathfinder. So it was my first trip up there. And um, so I took a handful of of minnows up there. And we um, just started fishing the rocks right when we uh, came out of the marina. And, you know, our first spot, it was pretty windy. We had two to three footers on the main lake. And so uh, we stayed kind of in the bay a little bit. And 
started throwing jigs and uh we ended up catching 10 in the just inside the marina that that area so uh we decided that uh, we'd, we'd kind of fight the wind and we uh rode the wa- the waves towards walleye bay and got up got up that direction of the lake and got into the next spot and caught five got into another spot and hit the anchor lock and ended up catching 20 to 30 in that spot so we we probably had a a good 50 fish day at at pathfinder and kind of like everybody's been saying you know a lot of small fish but i will say i think i did catch better quality fish at pathfinder than i did at glendo Uh, a lot of uh 13 to probably the biggest was probably 18 inches uh, definitely kept us interested all day long. Uh, the sand was, was really good for us. I think if, um, a guy put a trolling pattern together, I think that would be good as well. But, uh, we, I always like jig fishing and I'll do that first anytime. So when you were up there at Pathfinder, you were fishing with a buddy that was from Ohio. Correct. Do they do a lot of things different? in that part of the world i mean other than sheet and fishing tournaments (laughs) ouch (laughs) um yeah no uh uh, this gentleman here's you know been out a couple times with me and um he uh you know he's he's a jig fisherman like myself so he he likes running jigs and and minis uh, or or, or minnows (laughs) but he calls them minis really pretty much the same type of uh presentations that we use one thing that the, he uses quite a bit on the on the lakes that he fishes is uh, blade baits. I can honestly say I own. I think I counted three of them the other day, but I've never I've never really been very successful with them. And then he asked me for a twister tail, and I thought, you know, yeah, we'd throw. He's like, do you ever use a twister tail with a with a minnow? And I'm like, well, no. But I was thinking the twister tail with the twister tail. Well, he just took, takes the grub body and puts it up the line of the, the – well, I've, I've done that plenty of times. So right. just use the, the grub bar part of it up the shaft of the uh, jig head. It just kind of adds some color and adds, you know, a little bit more meat to the size of the, the presentation. So um, that's that was what we did. We just put a chartreuse grub on and a, and a minnow and – and it was lights out. It's always fun to, you know, see what other guys think, you know, and, and he's a little bit older than you are, so you probably got a, a little generation mm-hmm. gap. So to see stuff like that, it's, you know, it's kind of cool to, well, to learn. Or, that's or one of the things that I've kind of learned, you know, traveling, you know, fishing a bunch of walleye tournaments is that, you know, I used to joke is like when I'd go to a new town, I'd go get a haircut first because, uh-huh, yeah. you know, the town barber, <laughs> especially once they found out that yeah. you're in town for a tournament, oh, they wanted to tell you where the bite was or what, you know, what, what the best thing to do is. But when you go to like those local bait shops, you know, the best thing you can do is see what they sell. You know, what's the, what are, what do the locals do? How are the locals fishing? You know, even, even though we always say a walleye is a walleye, there's different presentations throughout the country that, you know, just seems to work better in certain bodies of water. Right. And, um, so, you know, you could probably pitch a jig and a worm pretty much anywhere, but like a blade bait presentation is just not something that is really common for anglers around this part of the country. When my dad came out, we went out to, to Pathfinder and I'm like, here, we'll do the, you know, the jig and the worm or whatever. And he's like, what? It's like, I haven't fished with a worm in 20 years. Right. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of presentations that, you know, we just kind of get away from, you know, that, you know, one of my old partners, you know, he was always a a Mr. Mr. Twister, you know, it was a eighth ounce jig and a twister tail and he always tipped it with a little piece of crawler, Uh you know, that, that was it, you know? (laughs) And so, 
And then, you know, I, we, I kind of got away from that and I started using more, you know, minnow type presentations or paddle tails and fished over weeds more than I did over rocks. And you just, you know, kind of, you kind of lose sight of what you did back in the day when it, when it was successful back then. Right. So no matter what uh, your presentation is or your method, somebody has one that's totally different that'll look at you and think you're goofy. Yeah. Well, you know, we were up in Pathfinder the other day and uh, we were obviously pitching minnows, but another friend of mine, uh, he's, he's, he's pretty much a no live bait guy and they did really well just you know pitching paddle tails and and uh, twister tails so as long as you're confident in what you're doing and you kind of know what that what that bait's doing down there i think you know a guy can be successful if you have any questions on getting out and fishing you still got time stop by in here and see them at rocky mountain discount sports it's wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors we're back on Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors, and you speak of outdoors, and it's not always just hunting and fishing, camping and hiking, and really the scenery of Wyoming is all part of the outdoors, and there's a guy that captures wildlife and scenery and blends it together. Travis Glasgow of 307store.com, a local artist that is doing big things and Uh, Travis, you have a new line coming out, and it's a fabric line, and it's really been a long time in the works, I think, almost as long as as we've known each other. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's uh, two years, about two years in the making now um, since I signed a contract with uh, Hoffman California International Fabrics. It's finally been released. Um, It's been released to the retailers. Um, There's about a few thousand retailers throughout the country. Um, that work with Hoffman. Yeah, so it's it's exciting to have my stuff all over the U.S. now. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's awesome to have that Wyoming flair through, throughout right. the country. You know, you, your signature, you know, works of art, and uh, you're able to share it with the entire world. That's that's pretty cool, and it's got to make you feel really good. Makes me feel really good. Yeah, it's been a lot of work just working with Hoffman, working with the designers there, um, trying to find the right fit. Um, trying to find the right pieces, the pieces that they liked, the pieces that I liked, um, and just kind of the right designs. So, yeah, I've been working closely with them for about two years now. Obviously, this is kind of a long process, but uh, was it really hard for you? It's a long process for fabric, it seems like. Yeah, um, especially with this company because they're so well-known in the fabric industry. Um, I just think that there is a time timely process to get in. A lady up in Sheridan actually saw my work, and she is a sales rep at Hoffman, and she covers the Wyoming territory, and she's the one that actually referred me to Hoffman, and you know, she's like, this guy's work is amazing. I love it. Um, you should think about contacting him, and they reached out to me. That's all. You know, you got to love it when <laughs> stuff happens like that. Yeah, it's great. It's great. We're talking with local artist Travis Glasgow, 307store.com, and Travis, do you have a special name for this fabric collection? Uh, this is called the Wild Collection, and um, it's, you know, there's one, two, three, four. Um, there's about six different designs with this particular collection um, through Hoffman. And so those retailers get to to pick the designs that they want and then just go from there with their customers. I was trying to think back. I think it was about two years ago, the first time that we had you on the program. And, you know, from there to now, I guess it's been about the entire time uh, you've been trying to get this this fabric going. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's been pretty much the whole time just, you know, staying in contact with them and and then 
just trying to figure out what works best for the launch. Now, you had mentioned that it's been released to the retailers. When will it be released to everyone else? It's not going to be available to customers until February, um, but it is available to the retailers. So the retailers get to uh, basically place the orders for the fabric, for the designs that they want. Like I said, they have about six different options. And then come February, um, customers can actually place orders for quilts, um, placemats, uh, and you know anything really, anything with fabric. So you could have the uh, Travis Glasgow collection all over your house, really. I mean, you could decorate one could. full room of it. It could, yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get a quilt. My girlfriend's gonna get a quilt. Um, I know my parents; they want one as well. So yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be neat. I'm excited. So you'd mentioned that there were a couple of different designs. Are these some of your like uh, most popular designs that you've already made, or did you specifically make the the designs for the fabric? Um, I didn't specifically make the designs for the fabric. No, this is artwork that's made to be on canvas, um, mostly just wall art. The nice thing about uh, this work is it can really be placed on anything. So, you know, I get people that reach out to me, they want it. They want a decal on their car. Um, they want a tattoo. They want whatever it is. Um, they can have it. Well, and then obviously people can go to 307store.com to, to check out all of your different works of art. And, you know, you have been doing this for long enough now that your collection has really grown. And how often are you putting out new pieces? I'm putting out new pieces like once a month, maybe even twice a month. Just really depends on my work, how much time I have to devote to my art. Right now, I'm getting into the busier season for orders for the holidays. A lot of people are going to be ordering uh, for their family, friends as gifts and things like that. So getting pretty busy right now, you know, and that's going to carry through probably January. And then I uh, might see a little bit of a slowdown as far as that goes. So I may have more time to uh, to go back into my to my lab. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that I have really enjoyed about following your artwork is the fact that you go out and, and you basically get the landscape photos. You take the photos or you get the photos and then you combine them with some of the wildlife that we have here in, in Wyoming. And do you find that you will go out, say, into the late winter, then you'll take a trip out into the spring and then the summer, just so you have the different kind of uh, landscapes weather-wise? Yeah, I like to mix up the landscapes. I love taking pictures in the winter. Um, the snow is beautiful. Um, you know, the fall with the leaves is great. And, you know, like the color of the leaves may match with um, particular wildlife. So that could be a good blend where, you know, the snow, the white may may blend well with uh, the feathers of a bird, you know, white feathers of a bird or something like that. So, yeah, I like to, uh, I really like to mix and match the uh, the landscapes and the wildlife. And it's nice with with these Hoffman designs. Um, there's a lot of local, um, a lot of local photography that are in these designs as well. So really representing Casper. <laughs> yeah, that's it's so cool to uh, you showed me some of the the pictures uh, earlier. That uh, I mean, it's they're just fantastic, you know. And and to think that you could have that uh, at any point starting in February. And do you know of any local folks that are going to be carrying the fabrics? Yeah, the local folks, um, it's Prism Sew and Quilt. Um, they're going to carry the fabric. I'm not sure if any other store locally there may be. Um, there is a link on Hoffman's website 
Um, if you are, you know, somewhere else in Wyoming, you can click on that link and I can, I can send it over to you if you want, uh, where, you know, people can go and, and check to see if their local retailer is uh, related to Hoffman and they can place an order that way. You know what I plan on doing is after February, uh, when I go on a trip or something, I'm going to look it up so I can buy a piece of the Travis Glasgow uh, fabric line so that I can bring it back to Wyoming and just have pieces from all over the country. Nice. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun and exciting, all of the new opportunities for you. And do you think that you're going to try to grow this fabric line where if it starts going well, that they're going to expand it? Yeah, I think, you know, in six months, I'm going to see how it how it pans out in six months with with Hoffman. I have a pretty good relationship with them. So I would imagine, you know, when they put out different product lines for different seasons, they may want something in the future for a specific season, you know, upcoming. Wow. That'd be a, a fun opportunity to be able to have a, a spring line, a summer line, a fall line, a winter line, a Christmas line. I mean, a Valentine's Day line. You could have it all. You could have it all, really. Yeah. And it, and it works well with my art. So that's what I that's what I appreciate about it. It's very awesome. We love seeing it. Travis Glasgow, go to 307store.com. And uh, also, you can follow along on all the, the social media. And man, we appreciate you talking with us. And and good luck. We can't wait to hear how it goes in February. Thanks a lot, Drew. Thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with Drew Kirby. If you have a question, want to make a comment, or have an idea for a show topic, message us on the My Country mobile app. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors.